says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me the preview, round 22 of the men's action, as well as round 20, round two. So we've got twos across the board there of the NRLW. Is my good mate, 60s. Got a big smorgasbord of action from Friday right through to Sunday this week. Big fella, how you feeling heading into a number of really, really important games for pretty much every team except, say, the New South Wales Cup? Well, it has been a short week in in a number of respects, mate, because we had the football all the way up to Sunday with the NRLW and lower grades out at St. Mary's. So, yeah, it's felt like a real jam-packed week this week with a Friday night game for the NRL team. I guess it's that time of year. And (laughs) we are so close to the end of the season. And you know what? There's a part of me... In the past, I would have looked ahead at these all the matches that are there for the Eels and for the other teams that we're in uh, competing with for places in the finals and tried to work out a hypothetical end-of-year table. I don't want to do that. In all honesty, I'm fitting in with the classic cliche of one week at a time and there's possibly been no bigger week for the Eels than this week against the Storm. So we better be up for it, mate. And I'm talking about us as a podcast. We it, There has to be 100% commitment to what we're about to do. There's um, no second chances. It is do or die this week. Yes. You're up for it? Are yes, you up sir. for it? Are yes, you ready, sir. mate? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we got four games of preview, 60, so plenty of football to talk about. Before we get into that, as always, a quick shout out to the sponsors of the show, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Narellan, and Parramatta. Uh, like we always say, uh, bringing the show to you guys each and every week. So fantastic work from them. Um, but we do, before we do talk Parramatta footy, 60s, you want to do a quick sort of around the NRL of what's happening uh, at certain clubs? Look, I guess the thing that we've been talking about most recently has been what the hell is going on at the Bulldogs? The the procession of players that are now being signed by them and and today... linked to them, yeah. They linked to them and today there's news that they're now going to be meeting with Connor Watson. Normally what you have is the players that are going out the door. And there's been some rumours about that, but then we've had to have a retraction on one of those with Raymond Faitala Mariner, who evidently is going nowhere. And if he's going nowhere, that's a big chunk of the salary cap that won't be available. If the NRL is not doing any investigation into the Bulldogs and their salary cap scenario, they they're basically burying their head in the sand because it's surely they're, they're, they're waving red flags that look here, there is something going on here. You just can't sign. And look, we don't know the value of contracts or anything like that, but just in terms of sheer numbers. 
loading up on mid-tier players is like the fastest way to bloat your cap as well. Like the guys, when I say mid-tier, I don't mean like they're ordinary players. They're like solid players. So they're all going to command three, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000. And when you're, you know, the mid-tier of your cap is just loaded up with them, uh, suddenly you run out of space very quickly. And we know the dogs got marquee signings because they do have the Burtons, the Pungo Juniors, the Adokars and whatnot. So... And yeah. the Reed Marnie, and the Reed Marnie too, who got who got market money. Yeah, that's exactly right. So yeah, interesting times for the Bulldogs. They haven't been able to sign a halfback, so it feels like they're signing a playmaker by committee of all these utilities. They just get you know a bench full of utilities, and maybe they can sort of figure out how to distribute the ball uh, and organize the team uh, properly. But it's interesting recruitment: shotgun, scattergun. Uh, what was our words we used? So names out of a hat, or the old South Park manatee. Uh, you know, uh, ball ball joke sort of uh, situation. So, yeah, very interesting things happening over at Canterbury 60s, and I'm not really sure if I'm abreast of exactly what they're trying to achieve, uh, but they, it, they've got some sort of strategy, I suppose, because they're signing players. Well, as has been spoken about in the media, and the, the media is probably acknowledging as well that they're over the cap because, as they say, this approach, this scattergun approach of, signing a whole heap of players and then working out who they're going to cull after that. So they know they would have to cull to be able to fit into the salary cap next year. I'm not quite sure why the NRL would allow such a method, even if the Bulldogs were able to get under the cap next year, they would be well over right now. And, I mean, we haven't heard anything about whether the contracts are being registered or allowed to be registered or what have you. But it's this methodology of signing a whole heap of players going beyond the cap, so we believe, allegedly, and then working out who they cut after that to fit into the cap. So the idea being getting who they want now, then working out who they don't want afterwards. And, uh, and I mean, maybe they have worked out who they don't want, but it hasn't been actually negotiated or, or organised. I think the good thing for the fortunate thing for Phil Gould is he does have some uh, a good rapport with a number of player agents who probably have players or multiple players uh, with the dogs and, you know, that may help him to facilitate movement of players I, I don't know. That's the sort of stuff that you hear. But, but because there's so much out there in the way of rumours, surely the NRL jumping in and doing an investigation and saying, you know, look, no, everything's everything's fine here, then it'll it maybe can put a bit of a stop on some of those rumours uh, about what's going on. Or maybe they can clarify for supporters, look, contracts don't get registered if they're if their projections at the moment are that the cap they'll be breaching the cap mm-hmm. and that they need to shed you know how much worth of contracts before we can register certain new contracts you just feel that you can't have clubs going out and just signing anyone and everyone and then working it out later because you can imagine the chaos that would ensue yeah, if, if every, if every club, club operated in that, that. in that capacity. Exactly. Like, uh, it, it's just not good for player or club. 
uh, when you allow those sort of things to happen. Yeah, and and just one other thing that I wanted to touch on too was that on 360 last night, James Hooper really launched into an attack on Clint Newton. And I give this as my personal opinion. I thought he crossed a line by way of the personal attack and made some comments that had the other hosts sort of giggling at how I thought at how extreme he was he was in his uh, comments about and personal comments about Clint Newton. Now we acknowledge that everyone wants this dispute between the RLPA and the rugby league uh, to be over, the NRL to be over. Everyone has to also recognise that the media are going to comment on this in a negative light because the current media ban impacts them. So, of course, they're going to be uh, um, speaking against what is happening with the RLPA. And um, they're now talking about, well, the media organisations who are the broadcast partners are quite within their rights to uh, say that there is a breach of the contract with the NRL that's been brought about by the players because they can't fulfil the, the the broadcast arrangements of interviews with players. And, of course, they're going to be very, very negative in their, in how they see that. Now, I'm not siding with the players on this because, I, I mean, I'm not siding really with anyone. I just want people to be aware with what's going on because I don't think the media ban has been has impacted me as a fan. I don't think it's has it impacted you, John, as a fan. No, not at all. No, uh, and especially if you go to matches, I'm not missing anything at at the game. Even if you even if you didn't sixties on the occasions where we've had away games that you and I can't attend because they're in a state. You know, I'm not really tuning in to pre-game, po- I call post-game player interviews or the halftime interview. I don't really care. Like, I'm, I'm here for football on game day. They're not going to be interviews with players pre-game are not going to be informative in any way, shape, or form. They're not going to tell you how they're going to play the game. No, you're going to get at best sport cliche after sport cliche that yeah, you, know, you could interchange or replace any player in any round at any year, and the language would be the same. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely true. Uh, what I would be very, very strongly counselling the RLPA about is not to. Cons- I, I doubt that they would consider a strike. Oh, well, I'm I'm near positive they wouldn't consider strike action at the end of a season. Like that would just be counterproductive. Yeah, if you're going it to strike, it's got to be next year. I like. Yeah. Yeah, it would win them no support no. to be going down that path. I think they're almost they're, it's almost fraught with danger what they're doing now in terms of covering up the NRL badge on the jersey because of the fact that it, it would also cover up the major sponsor of Telstra. Um, that is really, I think, going to push confrontation, I think, there. But... Uh, by, as I said, by the same token, you can see the tactics that are being employed by the media and the and and they're going for that divide and conquer that we spoke about the other night mm-hmm. with trying to divide within the player ranks 
Um, and I think as a, when you hear the the representatives from the different clubs speak about the issue, they're still behind what's happening with Clint Newton. The representatives, the the let's say the union delegates, call them union delegates from each of the clubs, whatever term they <laughs> yeah, use yeah. within the ARLPA, they're they're the union delegates from each of the clubs, and they're they're pretty much echoing what's being said. The interesting thing I thought, however, was that the media's been bringing up what the average salary for an NRL player is and trying to tug at the... Um, yeah, that, that's obfuscating, isn't it? Because that's not what the sticking point is. No, the, the, that's, that, that's the whole thing. I mean, they're... they're they're trying to get a reaction out of the average yeah. punter. Look, look how the you know rich people are trying to squeeze more money. Essentially, like look how greedy they are. And yeah, the the players have made it. They've put out you know. So I think they should be. I'm stumbling at my words here, but it is difficult for them to be aggressive in trying to get the word out of what they're exactly they're arguing for when the media aren't playing neutral parties and they're obviously aligning themselves with the NRL's governing body. But the the players and the RLPA do need to be as. Uh, on the front foot as possible about expressing exactly what they're fighting for, and it's not yes. about it's not about the the dollars and the salary cap. It's about all the the quality of life changes for the game, not just for the men, but for the women and for retired players. Essentially, they're fighting for their pensions in a in a way like that, a future fund for players, um, and <clears throat> along top on on top of like scheduling and making sure that they're not forced into playing too many games as the game rapidly expands. So they're they're very like good reasons to dig your heels into. Uh, for player welfare, both in a short-term sense and a long-term sense. Uh, but the media's deliberately or no has done a good job of uh, making it pretty muddy clear uh, about exactly what they're fighting for and, and trying to turn it into a dollars dispute. Yeah, and that's the part about it that is most infuriating is that you know because it hasn't been communicated clearly. And, that, and I think that's as much the, the RLPA could have done a far better job in of communicating what the sticking points are, uh, but the media has been presenting it as a pay dispute, and the, the latest tactic has been: look, the average salary for an NRL player these days is four hundred and something thousand dollars a year. Look at what the average wage earner learn, earns. They can't possibly relate to this. They can't. You know, it's insulting to the fans that there's such a, a disparity between what the average fan would earn and what the average NRL player would earn when all of that has already been negotiated. That's not, as you said, that is not what's in dispute. And secondly, the other thing that they don't mention when they use a statistic such as the average wage of an NRL player, well, that average doesn't include the fact that a lot of the players who are at the bottom end of that pay is, uh, pay scale are also a number of those players who fit into the average um, career of an NRL player, which yeah. is what around about forty three games. Mm -hmm. So you're getting like less than two seasons worth of a career if you're playing every game. But obviously yes. that's sometimes spread across more years. But yeah, so fighting for these guarantees and these securities for those lower tier. I say lower tier, but you know what I mean. Uh, the, the guys that sort of conform more to the average or under-average NRL career in terms of lifespan is important, you know, especially with the rise of CTEs where you learn more and more about 
the impact of head knocks from not just the NRL level, but playing rugby league for your juniors and as a development pathways prospect. So making sure that these securities are there for players who need them when you know things go wrong after their playing career is important. So like you said, the RPA need to be more aggressive uh, about getting their points out, use their socials and player social medias and, and find maybe even just hire a marketing consultant that can deliver the message in like a concise but effective format uh, as a template or as a slogan or something like that. But yeah, they, they need to – getting public support is important, I think, um, because this if this is going to be a protracted campaign, as we've already seen it drag out quite some time, um, you need to be pressuring the NRL with the, the power that is the public. And I, But I guess the hard thing for them as well is that if they were appearing on any sort of media organisation to talk about what this dispute is currently about for them, they're not going to get anything other than uh, maybe a, an aggressive pushback, yeah, from the yeah, whatever host of the show or TV correct. segment, yeah, correct. Because the people that are interested in talking about this, of course, are those media uh, organisations or the or the broadcasters who have a vested interest in what's going on with the player dispute, or or journo's who have a vested interest in it, and they're going to have a negative viewpoint on what's going on there's going to be we don't know what goes on within within those broadcasters about any instructions that they get about how to deal with this but it's it really has turned aggressive yeah. and insulting there there is no doubt in my mind that James Hooper crossed a line with the things that he was saying about Clint Newton i mean if you had can you imagine if if uh, someone associated with the RLPA had started calling James Hooper those names, or had or or had? Um, oh, well, I, I wonder if if they had abused if if Hooper was taking the opposite stance and he was backing the RLPA against the NRL. And he was using that sort of language. Would he, use, would he invoke Peter, Peter Volandis's name or yeah, uh, yep. Abdo's name like that? No, there's no way. It, again, this comes back to those blurred lines between media and players that we spoke about with uh, Clint, I believe, on the news podcast this week uh, and how that degree of separation now in the modern media has allowed a lot of the uh, pundits in the press to say stuff that they wouldn't say once upon a time when they, they had to actually go talk to players to get their opinions and get their news. Yeah, and uh, and I come back to again the other thing that we spoke about the other night, which was that you had a journo like Paul Crawley who was referring to Reg and that tackle as a dog act, and and really making personal comments about him in that regard. And we saw immediately that there was uh, a, a case of another player making a very similar tackle that was not criticised in any way by mm -hmm. this journal and certainly not having personal insults thrown at him. So we've got that aspect. But the thing is, and I'll come back to it, would these blokes have the courage to stand in front of those players and say the things that they say? 
And the the obvious answer is no, they wouldn't. And it's and I think if you if you're not game to say this to a person's face, then I don't think you should be writing it. No, I agreed. I agree one hundred percent. But on that note, we have to wait and see what's going to be the next development in this saga. But for now, let's talk some Parramatta football, big fella. We'll start uh, with a like we said, it's got a full sort of smorgasbord of uh, footy across Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Let's start on Saturday where the Parramatta Eagles travel to Seabrook Reserve Broadmeadows in the Jersey flag. It's a 2 o'clock p.m. kickoff as the Eels take on the Storm. This is, I mean, we spoke about last week being important and it's not quite the death knell on the season, losing to the Roosters in that quality uh, match we saw last week. But if you're going to win, you've got to win now. Uh, this is 8v5 in a top five format. Eels in eighth. Seven wins to the Storm's nine wins, uh, no draws. Yeah, no draws. So uh, two wins outright behind the Storm. So this is a four-point game. Um, and they take on the Storm looking like this. Uh, Arpa Tweedle at fullback, Matt Komalafi and Ethan Martin on the wings. Richard Penasini, Araz Nanva in the centres. Blaze Talangi's back again for his second game. He's alongside Ethan Sanders in the halves. In the front row, it's Noah Reed and Tony Matelli at props. Matty Arfa is the dummy half. Lachlan Blackburn has moved from centres to the back row where he joins Max Tupo. Nick Lenars captains the team at lock forward. On the interchange, Saxon Pryke, another key in for the Eels. He's back after a reasonable layoff, 60s. He's joined... uh, he, did, he did take the field last week. Oh, he did play last week? Sorry, there you go. Yep, yep. Uh, he wasn't named, I believe, initially then. Uh, must have been a late inclusion. But then you've got Lance Fulima, Lachlan Mears-Crab, and Sam Tuovaiti as part of the rotation. Paddy Spence is the 18th man. And yeah, uh, no way to sell this, but the fact that the Eels need to win this and preferably win well. Uh, whatever they can do if they're for and against in the meantime might be important considering that they're on negative 50. The Storm are on negative 10. The Dragons who are also, and the Rabdos who are also big parts of that chase for the final spot in the top five, negative 34, negative 105 respectively. So uh, for and against is worth double today or double on Saturday, sorry, between the Eels and the Storm, obviously because they're versing each other. So critical, critical game here. You win by 20 or more. And uh, you you actually swing the Melbourne Storms for and against against you. Yeah, I think in this instance we do have a little bit of a form line in that the Eels and the Storm have played each other earlier this season. It was a last, literally a last minute victory to the Storm, where the, unfortunately the Eels turned the ball over in their own quarter um, in yardage late in the game, about two and a half minutes to go, something like that, and uh, Storm took full advantage, uh, got got the try, and it really only took two two lapses, one with the dropping the ball, and then secondly with the, uh, not being able to uh, defend the error. And uh, to, as it's turned out, that's a, a crucial two points because you take the two points off the Storm and give it to the Eels. And you've got them, what, even, even on points with that? Um, two off them, two on oh, us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's how critical that loss was. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, now The definition of a four-point loss, wasn't it, in the yeah, context and, of the season? And look, season. That's, that's the problem at this time of year when you start looking back on what should have been, what could have been in particular matches, and you're looking at mathematical ways that the team could qualify for finals football. What they have to go into this match doing is, I think, even though it was a loss last week, there was so much to be happy about in that contest because 
the Roosters are absolutely the standout team in this competition. What was on display last week at St Mary's was a quality game of football. I mean, it was... It was really good footy to watch. The Eels took it to the uh, Roosters. They were leading 10-0 early in the game and really were having the better of the forward exchanges, were taking uh, advantage of scoring opportunities that came their way. We we were seeing uh, Ethan Sanders playing confidently. We saw Blaze Talungi. He, he made a ripper of defensive play right on the line to stop what seemed like a certain try uh, coming for the Roosters. He put on a, a great pass that uh, put on the try for Matt Komalafi, uh, the first try of the game. He, his involvement was good. He was just so strong physically in this, in that contest. So he's come back well from – he's now – he had a, he's had a couple of injuries this year, which has kept him out, first of all, of – the whole first half of the junior rep season, and then uh, the uh, when most of his teammates from the SG ball were elevated to the jersey flag, he was out injured from uh, City Country game that happened po- at the end of the uh, junior rep season. So he's missed a bit of footy, but it, it's not showing in how he's playing. Um, uh, we mentioned before uh, in our a podcast earlier this week, the form of Nick Lanaz as well at lock and captain. He's been instrumental in all of the good performances this year from the from the team. He is just a a big effort player, and he's not going to let anyone down. Uh, but being able to put, I guess, a, a, a spine together in this team that's full of the SG ball. Uh, premiership-winning players in Arpa Twidal, um Ethan Sanders, Blaze Talungi, although Blaze played centre in the SG ball. Um, he's taken over from Josh Lynn, who's now up in New South Wales Cup. And, of course, Matty Budzartha. It's That's been... I, I think that's gone a long way towards getting the team at a level where they're... They could... If they were in the finals they would make it a very, very interesting contest with those teams that are going to play finals football this year. You'd have to say the odds are stacked against them qualifying for finals football because they have to look at mathematical possibilities right now rather than just, um, you know, if they win all the games, they will qualify. I think it's I think it's out of that realms of possibility. They have to have a few things happen. Uh, nothing extraordinary, but they'd still need a few results to go their way. Mm-hmm. So, um, mate, look, I am going to tip a win to the Eels with this. Having seen that contest against the Storm earlier this year, um, from memory, the Storm were quite a big side. So, you know, there was a they did have a bit of a size advantage, but the Eels. I think more than matched them when it came to skill, the skills department. So I think there's maybe more potential first graders in this Eels uh, Jersey Fleet team than there are in the Storm Jersey Fleet team. And on that basis, I'm going to tip the Eels to win. I'll tip them to win by 12 points. So it'll halve the difference in the uh, um, differential mm-hmm. between the teams. 
Yeah, I think there's reason to be optimistic here, 60s. It is a tough trip going all the way down there, but um, the the, com- the composition of the side is looking pretty healthy now. I think Blaise Talangi coming back in really solidifies their playmaking cores, Arpa Tweedle, Talangi, Sanders, and Arthur. Uh, the back line looks good with uh, Penasini and Martin especially being really active now, uh, and Namvers looked all right too. Uh, but in the forwards, you've got you know, good Good front rolls there, uh, Reed, Matteoli, Lanars, like you said, is just a ball of energy. Uh, so, yeah, reasons to be confident, 100%. I'm going to tip them the win as well. Uh, margin's kind of hard to tell, though. I feel, I feel like it's going to be narrow or big. Uh, so I can either sort of like one to four points or maybe uh, 13 plus. Um, so hopefully it's the latter. Uh, those points in uh, the latter will be huge. But, yeah, I'm looking for our boys to get the win this week. Yeah, and and really, you mentioned the forwards there. They they the forwards genuinely matched it with the Roosters last week, and the Roosters were a monster team. They looked an older team. Uh, I, I just like the balance right across the squad. You and and you you mentioned Richard Penasini and Ethan Martin. Well, Ethan Martin got a double last week. He's um, he's got something extra about him, young Ethan, in in terms of you know, just the way that he that he plays the attacking side of the game, like he's he's fearless in his the way he hits the ball up, and he's got some footwork on him, some really clever footwork. So, um, and and Richie Penasini, be interested with Richie. Um, he he got away a couple of really good balls last week, um, and partnering over on uh, the. I think he's on the same side as Ethan from memory, mm-hmm. and um, uh, but you know I don't. I, I wonder as well whether his opportunity going up through the grades might come with a shift of position to the wing. That'll be that'll be interesting because I think there's opportunities on the wing at Parramatta, and he's a different build to Will. He's a bit taller than Will. Yep. Um, so it, it may well be that wing might be his position, but we'll see. We'll see. He's, he's still so early in his career at the moment. So, um, okay, so we move now to the New South Wales Cup, mate. And that takes us to Sunday, 3 o'clock p.m., out at one of the old stomping grounds of rugby league, North Sydney Oval, taking on the Bears, of course. Uh, should be playing anyone else at North Sydney, I dare say. Uh, Eels now, look, are they, are they out properly on this one? I think they might be just about... Uh, they got eight wins. They're chasing the ten. You know what? They're not out, out, but they're not in. I don't think so. They probably need to win every game and have a lot of results go their way. So let's just call them out at this point. Uh, but they're taking on the North Sydney Bears, who sit in first. That uh, top spot in the ladder. It's been hard to hold on to it for any individual team. Sixties. It feels like uh, we've uh, during Parramatta's big slump, we've seen the Bulldogs, the Bears. Uh, was it maybe the Jets at one point too? Um, but they've interchanged the leads, and now the Bears have got a two-win buffer uh, on, well, it's two wins, but it's only one and a half wins because the Bulldogs have drawn three games this year. Three games, 60s. Uh, yeah. So they're on 30 points to Canterbury's 27. It feels like the old days, uh, and I know they don't play um, Golden Point, point in yeah. the in the New South Wales Cup, but it, it's what we used to see in the uh, premiership. The top uh, first-grade premiership was uh, a number of draws, through the year, and we've become so used to draws being a rarity with Golden Point yeah. existing that yeah, three draws, we go three draws in a season. 
well, yeah, you could get that before. Uh, wasn't a, wasn't necessarily a you know out of the realms of possibility, but it's yeah, it, it's still enough that it's enough of a novelty that you go, wow, three draws. But yeah, it's one v eleven in this particular instance. Let's look at the Parramatta Eels quickly uh, at fullback Artie Arthur Miller Stephen. He's having a nice little cam campaign in the New South Wales Cup. On the wings, you've got Hayes Dunster and Terrell Williams, another Jersey flag prospect. Good to see. Dan Keir is in the centres with Samuel Luizu. Josh Lynn gets his second game in Cup. He'll partner Jordan Rankin in the halves. Rodwell, Yates, and Makatoa are the front row combination. You've got Jack Murchie, another young gun making his New South Wales Cup debut. Charlie Geimer, really keen to see that 160s. They're on the edges. Jonte Jr. and Beth Mees are the big hype himself. He's starting at lock forward. On the interchange, another young lad, Jacob Davis. Joined by Wittermu Greg the Wolverine, who makes his return from a list Frank injury. Nico Pelu and another young gun in Brock Parker round out the interchange. A very, very healthy dose of Jersey Fleck plays in this team 60s. They're taking on one of the best teams in the comp in terms of form. Uh, so it's going to be a tough undertaking, but I do like the direction they're taking the cup now, uh, even after all those struggles, to have the young kids in here and inject not only some energy, but also uh, sort of learning some tough lessons about senior football. I feel like this is an important turning point for the New South Wales Cup this year. Yeah, I think we're one selection away from where I would have liked them to be because I would have liked them to have maybe another young player in the centres. I think poor Dan Keir is just being moved <laughs> around to so many different positions. He's getting the uh, the Brendan Hands treatment from uh, the years prior where he was just like Mr. Fix-It in the, in the roughest possible way. It's like you got a hole in the centres or a hole in the lock forward. Yeah, Brendan Hands goes there, or in this case, Dan Keir. So, yeah, I think I I might have liked to have seen one of the Jersey flag players. I, I agree. Elevated. I agree. Um, whether you want to take a punt on Richard Penasini, which is you know a, a big ask of the young lad, but you got someone like Lockie Blackburn who is older and has played centres and back row, so capable of playing across both those positions. There, um, yeah, I feel like we probably made the wrong call in that regard. Um, would you have taken the punt on Penasini? Would you have gone for someone like Ethan Martin uh, and then rejuggled your back line to put, uh, let's say, uh, Dunster into the centres or Terrell Williams into the centres who can also play centres? Yeah, it's... Look, I probably, I probably might have uh, played uh, Richie in there because... I wouldn't, wouldn't have minded that, yeah. I, I think... We might have found out a little bit more. I, I see Richie. He doesn't lack. He, well, he doesn't appear to lack confidence in no, any way. Nope. And not not based and, on what we've heard from the boys at the powerhouse too. When they, when we had our interview with them, uh, he's a very confident player. And, yeah. And yeah, I, he's not fully grown, but he's also not small for his frame. Like you said, he's taller than his brother William. Uh, and you know, he's not skinny. He's got some you know muscle on the frame. So I would have been very interested to see how, even if it was just a taste, like just a cup of coffee at New South Wales Cup, seeing how he handled the competition. Well, I'll put it to you this way. How old was Will when he was playing both New South Wales yeah. Cup and then NRL? Yeah, well, Will skipped, was it old SG Ball before the competition reshake? Did, did he finish SG Ball when it was an 18s competition and went straight into Cup? He just skipped Jersey Flick. Um, yeah, I'm... I'm trying to think now because we've got all that COVID yeah, the stuff COVID that was going on. Was was he? Um, it, it was close. So either he finished as a 19 year old and went straight into cup, or finished as an 18 year old and went straight into cup. He just didn't play Jersey I, Flag. I think what happened from memory 
was we lost the entire season of Jersey Flegg and um, I may be right, uh, I, I may be wrong, sorry, here, but when they were in Jersey Flegg or eligible for Jersey Flegg, um, that the likes of uh, Jake and Samuel and Will and uh, Sean skipped the second year of SG ball, went straight to Jersey Flegg, and then the competition was called off uh, for Jersey Flegg. And then when they came back the next year, I'm pretty – that's where I think Will started the season in reserve grade. So yeah. if if he played in the first game of the season, and that's where there might be a question mark – uh, the previous year. Was that, that year yeah. in New South Wales Cup? got one year. Yeah, that year in New South Wales Cup, he faced the murderer's role centres as well. It was just like an absurd amount of high-quality NRL centres playing Reggie's for whatever reason, where it was injury, coming back, or poor form or something like that. So he ended up playing like actual representative caliber centres in that year. Yeah, and then he made his NRL debut later in the season. That's right, and played a finals game or two. Yeah, so I, I've got a feeling that he's – that. Richard is is now at a similar age to Will, so uh, when Will made his uh, started playing open age football, so yeah, I, I look, I I might have taken the punt on mm-hmm. on Richie there, but um, anyway, uh, the interesting thing too, and uh, now you know what, I'll leave it till we talk about the first grade because I was going to talk about Will, but uh, let's let's rather than segue uh, into first grade now because we've got the NRLW to talk about in between. Uh, we'll finish off uh, our our takes on this. Yes, there is a better balance in this New South Wales Cup team. I think we both tipped a win last round against uh, the Roosters. That sounds right. Given, given that the Roosters had struggled at this grade and, and even though the Eels had performed very poorly in recent weeks, I think we both felt that with the inclusion of a, a five eight as a as a genuine having a genuine five eight in that position in Josh Lynn, that the Eels would function a little bit better in the delivery to the outside backs when uh, in attack, and that it was just going to allow for the team to. I, I guess be well. Let's let's get straight to the point. There was it, it was almost as if they were going into the game with zero resilience in recent weeks, mm-hmm. and I just felt that they might have had a bit more faith in themselves last week against, first of all, an opponent who was also struggling, but with people who are selected in their positions last week, and I just thought. We might see a little bit better. We might see a bit more self-belief. We might end up seeing a bit of resilience when the opposition got their turn with the ball because we hadn't seen any of it in recent weeks. So do I have the same faith this week? John, I think you know what my answer's going to be <laughs> because they are play- they are playing the team that is at the top of the table instead of... A, they, a- they did ambush this team. In what was their last great performance before Correct. before the big slide, and it was the the week after Jake had left, and some way somehow they engineered a massive upset against the Bears, so they've got that going for them, 
And again, with the Jersey Flag, I think the balance of the team, the composition, the structure is a lot healthier. Like you said, if we had another centre playing and Dan Key could move back to the interchange, I feel like that would have benefited the team greatly. But I, I think they're going to lose, but I don't think they're going to embarrass themselves. I think they're going to really give the Bears a shake here. And um, I'm looking for those young players to feature prominently again. Yeah, I'm very keen on how Charlie Geimer goes. Mm-hmm. I would have liked Jock Brazel to be still in the team at the moment, but I think he copped himself a little bit of a holiday with a, a tackle that went Slip, wrong slipped a bit high last maybe. week. Yeah. So, And the, uh, the other thing too, obviously Woody, uh, the Wolverine, getting some minutes into him, and hopefully he can get back to peak game fitness ASAP because he was a real plus for our first grade team. Yeah, absolutely. So, mate, we now move to the NRLW. Yeah, geez, it's uh makes for tough reading. It's uh, it's a bit disheartening not to have Elsie Albert and Rachel Pearson available, um, especially when we we took on this team in the trial and coming out of that game, you would have been pretty confident had Pearson and Albert been available for this match against the Dragons, but they're not. So the Eels, uh, in a case of eight v ten, uh, so both teams having pretty reasonable losses in round one, will go to uh, Win Stadium in Wollongong, three ten p.m. kickoff on Saturday. Uh, and looking at the Dragons team, 60s, it's uh, not too bad, actually. Tegan Berry at fullback. you got uh, Vela and Tapu on the wings. you got Brown Law in the centres. Uh, Tyler Nathan-Wong and Racine McGregor in the halves. Uh, Angelina Tiakaranga Katoa. Roxy Murdoch of the props. Renee Target in the dummy half position. Uh, Satia Lendor uh, Taunia. I don't really know the back rollers there. But on the interchange, Cowan, Costa, McGrath-West and Weverall. For the Eels, they've got a couple of changes enforced by injury uh, with uh, Jade Fanoa breaking her hand in this game. So you've got Abby Church at fullback, Zoe Faye and Cassie Toei Hiku rounding out what must be said is quite an exciting back 360s. Mahalia Murphy and Chantel Stowers mean it's an unchanged 1-5 to five for the Eels. Uh, Pahuka Berryman Duff will partner a new halves partner, uh, Rosemary Beckett, who we're very excited to see. That's one of our uh, pathways prospects. Uh, young Rosemary was outstanding in the Tasha Gale. Gets her chance now to control his team and taken by the helm uh, to what hopefully will be a win. In the front row, you've got Madeline Jones, Ruby Jean Kennard Ellis with Ruben Cherrington at dummy half, Amelia Murphy and Talisha O'Neill are on the edges. Kendi Cherrington captains the team from lock forward. On the interchange, Capri Paikau is the backup dummy half or the rotation dummy half. Nakia Davis Welsh makes her club debut. Keen to see how she goes. Shannon Muru and Monique Donovan round out the interchange. You got Tyler Amatu, Kyra Simon, Kimberly Hunt, Tanika Todd Hunter, and Chloe Jackson as the extended bench. Uh, Wyatt Raymond is slated to be the referee with Casey Badger in the box, but I feel like the uh, match officials are subject to change because I, I am certain that Todd Smith was named as the referee for round one, and he certainly didn't um, call that game against the Tigers. No, and he ended up on NRL duties. Yeah, so maybe there was a, a reshuffle on the day or something like that. Yeah, that could could well have been, but uh, mate, you you're talking about uh, a team last week who, and we can't sugarcoat it. That the defence was far too passive yeah. in the second half. There was great scramble in the first half and early in the second half, but then the fatigue really kicked in, and the Eels weren't able to get back and defend, and in the end, it was... There was some straight uh, basic hit-ups where the Eels were falling off the tackles and the line breaks were ensuing, and I think we saw the offloads flowing, the 
uh, ineffective tackles were just building up exponentially, the, the number that were there. And it got, the scoreline got ugly in the end. And I think they were reasonably fortunate. There was a few goals that weren't able to be kicked. But uh, the the other thing about it, and we spoke about this to some in quite some depth, was that if you're not able to ask the same questions in attack, and we include the kicking game in that, then you're not going to fatigue the opposition because they're not having to do the work in defence that they might normally have done. That leaves a lot of time and energy that's available for them in their attack. And the Tigers made full use of that. In the end, there were tries that were almost a little bit like a training run. Oh, yeah, yeah. And look, defence is all about attitude and energy, isn't it? And when you don't lead the line speed, you just open yourself up with that passiveness to be exploited. And what you – it's funny because what you gain from not expanding energy by not moving forwards as a line, you lose because the line breaks force you to scramble. So yeah. it, it's a net loss in energy – uh, so you're better off just putting out that front-loading front that effort, which, again, is a regularly cliche. But there is a reason why coaches tell you the front-load, because it saves you it saves you a lot of problems elsewhere. Uh, so yeah. in, and in this case, the Eels need to massively refigure what's happening uh, against the Dragons uh, on both offense and defense. They need to be more clinical and organized when they're finishing their attacking sets. We uh, were a little bit listless at times against the Tigers, running the ball without any intent on the last. Hopefully uh, both Perry, uh, Berryman Duff and Beckett can alleviate that and just get to kicks or to focus ends of the set. I don't mind running the ball, but you need to be on the page that we're running the ball with aggressiveness on the last. Uh, Look, I, I think in if I'm going to jump in and defend the team and maybe not defend but give a bit of hope towards this week is that they've been able to prepare the entire week with the team that's selected. So in last week they lost... Uh, both Pearson and Albert on the in the captain's run, like during the captain's run. So there literally wasn't preparation time for the new half. Uh, uh, Jade Fanua, wasn't it? That uh, Jade was Fanua, the yeah, who stepped into yeah. as, and, as a I think sort of like a hybrid forward slash half. Yeah, so she's had to step in. She hadn't been part of. Like they've been preparing with Pearson, they're leading the team, leading the kicking game. She she's not she's a uh, general play kicker. She's the goal kicker. They just like she was integral to the to the plans. Same for Elsie Albert in the engine room. Again, they've had to make a a, a big change from having a her as the starter to. Um, to just not even being part of the game. And if you're not preparing with those players in key positions, it is a major disruption. It's certainly, as I said this week, they have the opportunity to prepare with the players in place for the entire week. So the those that take the field on the Saturday are the ones who trained in those positions during the week. And I think that will make a big difference. As you said, we're excited to see Rose Beckett in there in the seven. She is a talent, listeners. She is a genuine halfback talent. So uh, she could very well be giving a bit of a preview to the future half at the Eels. And 
she led the Eels Tasha Gale team around the field really, really well mm-hmm. last season. Not uh, so twenty twenty two. So she was exceptional. Basically, took them from um, sitting outside of the uh, the finals football the year before to finishing second for the regular season. They only lost one game in the regular season last year, which was the first game of the season against the Roosters. So really looking forward to her appearance. Yep, agreed. Uh, in, in terms of this contest, 60s, both teams coming off bad losses. Both teams keen to get that bounce back. It is the Dragons' home game. That does tip things in their scale, certainly. Do the Eels have enough? With a, a strong back three, and uh, and also honestly, Murphy and Stowers weren't uh, chump change in the centres. I thought they did okay, uh, but uh, let's say a, a good back line, uh, but a new halves combination and perhaps a little bit understrength in the forwards. Is that enough to get us over the line against the St George Illawarra Dragons? Look, I'm, having watched the two teams run round in the trial, and we saw that look there was players on and off and it was massive changes at the end of every because uh, it was played in thirds in 20-minute uh, thirds from memory. I don't think it was 25, but it anyway, was 20 it was played in thirds. Yeah. So there were major changes at, the, at, at every break. So it was hard to get a judge of the Dragons team because if I was to say, well, look, you know, the Eels... Uh, starting 13 pretty much came off and a lot of them were changed over for the for the next 20 minutes. So, um, you know, the, the the next 20 minutes was they still performed well against the Dragons. Well, I, I wasn't paying attention to who was coming off for the Dragons. How many changes had they made? Um, were there any from that, from the other, uh, the, the latter portions of the game that uh, for the Dragons that are playing in this game or aren't playing in this mm-hmm. game. So it's it's still coming in with only a fraction of the form line, but I still think I saw enough to say, you know what, the Eels players who came on still carried a lot of that game plan for Dean Witters in that match. I mean, he sh- they they showed enough that I, I came away feeling confident about the squad as a whole. And I am confident with the fact that they've trained together all week that against a team which I'm not sure has too many familiar faces from last season's Dragons team. There are some, but like every club, there's a lot of changes. I think... I think the Eels can get the job done this week. I'm going to tip them to win by four points. I, I've, I can't give you a final score because who could go for a final score last week? Mm-hmm. I just think it'll be a close game. Whether it's high scoring, whether it's low scoring, I think the Eels get home by about four points. Uh, I'm, I'm still struggling to overcome the loss of Pearson and, and Albert here, um, especially given that they'll be taking on their former club, which is always a, a reason to get up for a big game. Uh, I, I want to tip the Eels 60s, but it is hard. Uh, if we are to win, it feels like our back three are going to have big games, maybe a bit of individual brilliance there. Um, and hopefully the rookie, Rosemary Beckett, has a nice game. That's a big one for me. That, Like we talked about in the news podcast, this was a bittersweet teams list uh, with the bitterness being pretty heavy. 
but the sweetness of a, a debutante of a player we've seen come through the pathway is making up for it some way. So hopefully uh, Beckett has a good game. Yep. Okay. Now uh, we move to tonight, uh, tomorrow night's game. That's right. Game. Chronologically we- the first game, but the last game we're previewing. It's the one of the highest stakes right now. The fourth place Melbourne Storm hosting the eighth place Parramatta Eels. Traditionally, this one would have been at Amy Park or Amy Stadium, whatever they call it, 60s, but with the uh, FIFA Women's World Cup, World Cup, sorry, uh, on uh, the football's getting bumped, or our football, sorry, is getting bumped to uh, other venues, in this case, Marvel Stadium. So we go on to an AFL and cricket venue, which is going to be interesting. Uh, 8 o'clock p.m. on the Friday. Melbourne without some players, the Eels without some players, both teams far away from full strength, so it's going to be a matter of who wants it more to prevail on this one? Looking at the Melbourne lineup quickly, you got Nick Meany, who we both rate highly. He's at fullback. The Brick, uh, for a Brick, he flew pretty good. Will Warbrick on the wing. He's been really good for the, the Melbourne Storm. Uh, you got Xavier Coates on the other. Marion Seve and young Tonomopia come into the centres. No Ramus Smith this week with, was it a groin injury? I'm not sure. I'm, he, he hobbled off from the game last week against Newcastle and has not come back. In the halves, the outstanding Cameron Munster, the big wild card in that team. He is so good. Alongside Jerome Hughes, Tui Kamikamifa, and Christian Welch, the captain, are in the front row. Harry Grant, who was lucky to play, but he is playing at dummy half. Trent Loiro, Tom Eisenhue, and Josh King round out their starting forward pack in the back row. On the interchange, Bronson Garlick, Alec McDonald, Elias Saikatoa, and Tyron Wishart. Grant Anderson, Chris Lewis, Tepe Maroa, Aaron Penne, and Jaden Nikarima are their extended bench options. So even without those outs, so we've got no Tarek Sims, no Nelson and Sofa Solomona, who was a big one, but no Justin Olam, no Ramus Smith. They're still a formidable team. And any time, I mean, any time they've got Cameron Munster in, in particular, but him, he and Harry Grant, uh, you've got to respect the ability of the Melbourne Storm to create something out of nothing. Oh, yeah. And you look at that and you go, their strength, undoubtedly their spine, and probably... I think they're two wingers. That's that's where the genuine strength in their team can be found. The rest of them, you put them into that tradesman qualification where they go out there, they have a job to do. The It's probably communicated very clearly from Craig Bellamy what their job is. They, they have their... They basically want them just to stick to their systems with their role in those systems. And then... It, you know, they'll get the job done. What we're seeing from the Storm this year are um, quite a few games where they're not getting the job done, where they fall out of their systems. We need, I mean, we need to force them into that situation. We can't rely on them pulling themselves out of their out of their systems. We have to put the pressure on so it's harder for them to stay in their systems. And that's what I'll be looking for from the Eels. So, mate, can you run us through Paris team? Yeah, starting, as always, with the fullback and captain, Quinton Gufferson. He was outstanding against the Cowboys. Just couldn't drag us to the win, but was very, very good. Wanga Blake has been retained on the left edge with Sean Russell on the right wing. Will Penasini and Valley Simonson are in the centres. Dejan Arce will continue to work alongside Mitchell Moses as we wait for Dylan Brown to return from suspension. In the front row, you've got Offahiki Ogden and Junior Barlow. Brendan Hands is a dummy half, but he's not working on his loan this week. We'll get to that later. Andrew Davey moves into the starting left edge role of poor Sean Lane. I say it so often in the last week or so, but the luckless Sean Lane having another serious injury, a dislocated elbow, will see him out for six to seven weeks. 
Uh, Bryce Cartwright is on the right edge working with Mitchell Moses. Jermaine Hopgood is the lock forward. On the interchange, Luca Moretti, Joe Opengahi, Joey Lusick, the other part of that battery at dummy half now, working with Brendan Hands and Ryan Madison round out our rotation. Hayes Dunster, Makatoa, Greg, or Rumu Greg, that is. Uh, Kai Rodwell and Jack Murchie are our extended bench options. Ashley Klein with the whistle, and you've got Gerard Sutton in the box. Yeah, it's not lost on me that Ashley Klein was the referee in round one this year. And what we saw from him in round one was... I, I'm trying to think of the right words here, mate. You see, there was a, a very strong edict about the speed of the ruck prior to round one. And it was delivered during the preseason. It was delivered also in with the way that the referees who uh, are available to all clubs to be part of training, to help with their opposed sessions during the preseason deliver the message about ruck speed and we saw none of it enforced when it came to the storm the storm's performance in defeating the eels at the start of the season was one of the more frustrating things to watch because cameron munster was literally taking the piss in the tackle wasn't he like the way he was finding uh, he was finding ways to get himself caught up in slowing that play the ball from the Eels and was allowed to get away with it by Ashley Klein. Like, he'd be like, oh, he's, his arm's stuck in position. or yeah. there, yeah. And a lot of it was that stand-up wrestle. Not the wrestle on the ground, but the like a like a standing wrestle that they were doing. Or, or there'd be... Um, It'd almost be like he was looking for a way to show that the Eels were fighting in the tackle um, to continue the tackle so that, that it was it was like, well, when when is held going to be called so the player can play the ball? Because the Eels player had stopped. The momentum had been stopped, but somehow there was action happening in the tackle. It was basically the action was the likes of Cameron Munster slowing up. And the crowd, the Eels crowd there were baying baying for calls mm-hmm. to be made for six agains or penalties. And it was just a, a procession of the storm coming up with their slow the ruck tactics being successful. And I don't expect any different this week. I've I've made my calls for the Eels to give up being clean in the ruck. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, yeah, damned if you do, damned if you don't. She might as well be damned if you do. Yeah, and Shelley's made the same calls in her column. I look at it this way, and we, we talked about it in the news podcast. We talked about it in the instant reaction. If your tactic is to be clean around the ruck so that you're not giving away cheap penalties or six agains, and yet you're not advantaged in any way, like the Eels received the least penalties of any team in the competition. We averaged 4.4 penalties per game that we receive. And yet we get penalised more. So we we 
like compared to other teams, you go, well, you know, the Eels don't give away too many penalties. They only you know, they, we sit about fourth or fifth in penalties conceded. That's pretty good. But not if you're actually losing the penalty count every week. Yeah. So, so the Eels somehow, somehow lose the penalty, have lost the penalty count on all but three games this season. We've only won the penalties three times. And when you're barely conceding over five penalties a game, you think you're a strong chance of winning the penalty count. Uh-uh. No. Because opposition teams can get away with absolute murder. Slow up the ruck. Creep offside. Jump early in the defensive line. All these sorts of things where the Eels should be absolutely winning the counts because they focus so hard on being clean. No, it hasn't worked at all. And we're now coming to the part of the season where teams are going to push all the boundaries. They're going to push the decision-making of the refs. They're going to challenge them to blow the whistle at the start and keep blowing. We know the refs aren't going to do that. It's not in their KPIs to keep blowing penalties. So if, if they're penalising the Eels more than their opposition, we may as well push the boundaries mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Why give away a faster play the ball speed? And we've talked about this. The Eels play the ball speed has been slower than the opposition in all but one game this season. All but one game. And that's because we peel off quickly. Doesn't even matter if it's a quick line break. We peel off quickly. We've still been sin-binned. We've still got the sin-bin for a slow play the ball. I think that happened or, or was uh, ruck interference where we weren't back. And uh, I think Will Pedersini was binned for, for that against the Roosters earlier this year. And, and that was quite debatable in itself. But we will still get penalised because if we're anything but ultra-fast in getting away from the ruck, the refs go, oh, the Eels must be slowing it up. No, we're still faster than the opposition in that play the ball. It's just that comparatively to how fast we normally are, we might be a bit slower and they think we're slowing up the ruck. So we may as well set a different standard push the boundaries, do exactly what the opposition is doing. Because God knows we're not getting any advantage doing what we're doing now. You can't be sitting last for penalties received and think this is working. It's not working. And that's something I'm going to be critical of in our decision-making. That I think we need to be, we need to have a different approach. Mm-hmm. Um. So, anyway, rant over, mate. No, I feel you there, mate. It is frustrating. And look, uh, it's not naivety from our coaching staff and Brad and whatnot. It, it was obviously trying to be a point of difference in the competition to operate on a cleaner basis and, and show the referees that we're you know adhering to the rules. But unfortunately, uh, we've become... It the makes victim. no difference to yeah, refs. It, exactly, it makes no difference. And we've ended up being uh, victims of our own sort of play style. So I agree. Uh, get your hands dirty in the ruck. Uh, concede some penalties, uh, bait the ref fatigue that every other team does. So yeah, yeah. I, and, I agree there. And see, the, theoretically, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with what we did because I, I remember going back a number of years where we were the most heavily penalised team in the competition, most heavily penalised because our discipline was poor. And one of the first things that BA worked on was team discipline. 
not giving away stupid penalties. And that, and and you know, there's we now sit. Uh, whilst there's been improvements, the the facts that we can't ignore is that the Eels have more players uh, lose more weeks to suspension, player suspension, than any other team. And even if you took out the off-field incident of Dylan Brown, the seven weeks there, because the Eels are, are missing 22 weeks, 22 weeks of player suspension. The nearest team is the Dolphins with 12. So even if you took out the seven weeks for Dylan Brown with the off-field incident and the three weeks for Matto, which was a carryover from last year, that 10 weeks taken off still leaves us sitting equal first at 12 weeks of players suspended. So we're still at the top of the table, even taking away those two significant suspensions. Something is going terribly wrong for us this year. Yep. And, you know, I think there's elements that are in our control, but there is nothing in our control about the penalties that we receive. We can't control that. That's a referee's interpretation on how the opposition is playing. We've got no say on that whatsoever. And the fact remains that we get less penalties than every other team in the competition. Sorry for sounding biased or sorry for sounding like there's a victim mentality in there. But damn, if you've got a team that you watch as I do, I watch them at training, I watch them focus, focus on being disciplined, focus on calls to each other about getting back beyond the ref in the ruck about getting off the ruck in a way that's not given, going to give away a penalty. See them focus so hard on that and then watch the garbage that happens out on the field from opposition teams that's allowed to fly. And I get pissed off with that. Yeah. And I'm thinking something stinks in the way that games are officiated. I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about that there's something rigged or I'm not. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is interpretation of the games where the way to go is to push the rules. And that, to me, is just the most obvious message I've got this year is that there is no point in being clean because there is no advantage to be gained from it. Agreed. And... Speaking of gaining an advantage, 60s, how do the Eels win this one? Uh, no Reagan Campbell Gillard, no Micah Seven, no Dylan Brown, no Wiramu Gregg, no Sean Lane. So the list of our outs is significant. Melbourne, though, also missing key players, in particular Sofa Solomona and Olam, although not excluding Ramus Smith and Tarek Sims. How do the Eels win this one? It's a tough away trip going to Marvel, but the Eels have shown they can win in Melbourne. And indeed, they tend to be one of the teams that match up pretty good with Melbourne in recent history. Yeah, well, let's face the let's talk about the elephant in the room, the left eels left side. If the eels left side is as bad as it was last week, then we won't win. That's that's straight. That's straight up. Now, Sean Lane before he was injured was not having a good game. Defensively, he looked lost. Yeah, he looked like a player that wasn't match fit, which makes sense given yep. he was coming back from a torn hamstring. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we had we had some issues there. Um, 
and I I guess the the other thing is too that without him being beside Dylan Brown, I mean that was not just a good combination in attack, but it was also a good combination in defence. And Dylan Brown is in a class of his own as a half-back defender. And without question, we are missing that because it's not just the tackles Dylan Brown makes. It's where he positions himself in defence. The number of times that he's in a position where they can't take advantage, like he hasn't been drawn into the wrong spot was that def- the, the de- attack is looking to, to do to a defensive line. The, the, the oppor- opportunities don't open up because his movement doesn't allow the opportunities to open up. He reads it well. Was and it- even if someone doesn't read it well, just his cover defence. Yeah, well, was it the first time we played the Cowboys where he made that almost impossible cover tackle yeah. on, was it yeah. Townsend or Drinkwater? Uh, which, I think it was Townsend. Yeah, which yeah. was critical in the context of the game. And, geez, that was topical in terms of who we played last week. We could have used his defense out there to help the front line and the last line of defense. Well, I put a hypothetical out on Twitter that would the Eels at full strength have beaten the Cowboys last week? And the majority, vast majority of people said yes. But some people just simply said, we only needed one inclusion, and that was Dylan Brown, to have beaten the Cowboys. And, and, do you know what? I'd, I'd have to agree there because mm. I think uh, he's he solves the issue of defence. And I think the other thing is too, we're not seeing the uh, the tries from the left winger anymore. Yeah. I mean, we like, Sebo's tries are dried up and it just, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't happened now for, well, we didn't see any from Wonga. Uh, last week, uh, and I think the one opportunity where they might have put him in in the corner, he put the handbrake on, and uh, for whatever reason, he decided not to not not to actually go for the corner. Um, so yeah, uh, what about you, mate? What what's what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think this is a game where we can win through the middle. I think uh, Barlow Hopgood. Moretti, Ofengahi, Madison, uh, Ogden. I think that battery of forwards can get the ascendancy over a Melbourne pack that's going to be without their best big man in the Sofa Solomona. Um, that's not to discredit the likes of Kamikamifa and Welch, uh, both of which you know are accomplished middle forwards. But I just feel like with those middle forwards, plus the fact that we're going to have two dummy halves that are going to be operating sharp, you know, we're going to have Brennan Hands and Lasik. Uh, getting, I don't know what the time spot would be, but you'd, you'd figure it's somewhere close to 40 minutes apiece because Lasik is not short on match fitness coming from the Super League. Uh, so whether it's, you know, 30, 50, 35, 45, whatever it is in those, you know, brackets, uh, they can both play aggressive and up-tempo. And yeah, the priority is going to be getting Mitchell Moses the ball when he wants it, but when there are opportunities to run and attack with other middle forwards, they're going to take him. So I'm really keen to see how that plays out. Um, I really like what our right edge can do here. Cartwright, Moses... Uh, going all the way out to Russell and Penasini. And speaking of Will, I really want to see him spotlighted in this game because when they've had Justin Ollum in this team, he's he's held his own and done really well against Justin Ollum, who was an absolute sledgehammer. He's going to have a, a backup here. He's got, uh, I don't know if it's going to be Seve or Tonomapia. I'm not sure how they, they line up here, but he's got a chance to really, you know, attack a backup player here. So get Will into the game. I want to see that. 
And for the left edge, well, it's just about us mitigating damage down that side. I don't think they're going to be a huge factor in attack. No Sean Lane, uh, no Mike Acevo. Uh, Bailey Simonson can still get some opportunities. I wouldn't mind seeing Bailey get the chance to run the ball. Uh, but, yeah, it's about mitigating damage down that side. So somehow keeping the Storm from doing uh, too many try-scoring raids down that side. Do those things, yeah. and I think we'll be in a, a prime position to win. Yeah, I, I was speaking, started to speak before uh, about there was something with, with Will Penasini that I wanted to discuss. Uh, this is when we were talking about Richard, that his was, brother. That's correct, yeah. There is a podcast that was put out by uh, You Know the Rules uh, yes. featuring Jermaine Hopgood and Bryce Cartwright, and Bryce Cartwright gave a brilliant insight into Will Penasini. He said he'd never played alongside such a young player who talked so much through the game, who was as confident as Will Penasini. And he and he talked about Will giving him a spray and giving him sprays during the game if he didn't do what he was supposed to be doing. And he's he was just so full of praise for Will and it made you realise how important... I mean, we've we've spoken about what a, a strong season Will is having this year, and it made you realise that it's not just in his own individual form, but what he contributes to the team. Mm-hmm. And when we've been reflecting on how well Bryce Cartwright has been, probably one of the things that didn't get mentioned was how instrumental Will may have been in that. And that's Bryce Cartwright basically saying Will Penasini has played a strong role in how he has played this year. And I thought that was a great insight for Eels supporters to hear that from Bryce Cartwright. So that side of the field have a strong role to play. But, look, I think... It comes back to the fact that our completions haven't been good enough in those losses. I mean, they they need to be better this year as a whole. We have to complete better. We've got the player with one of the best kicking games, if not the best kicking game in the NRL, in Mitch Moses. If we turn over possession to the Storm, that is far too cheap. If we allow them territory to be able to hit the left edge, our left edge, then we've got problems. I keep coming back to that left side. That is what we saw last week. It's it's a weakness. It, it, it went from a, a strength where you have Dylan Brown, uh, Sean Lane. Um, Bailey Simonson in career best Bailey form. Simonson and Sivo. The, so there was a strength in both attack and defence to perhaps the most vulnerable edge in the NRL. Now, we're going to see Dylan Brown back next week and we're going to have to wait a further two weeks for Mike Acevo to come back. Andrew Davey may yet do a better job than uh, what Sean Lane did last week. He's probably going to hold his nerve a little bit better. Sean Lane just looks so underdone for yeah. the lack of football this year. Like he just looked like he he was gassed and just couldn't couldn't make good decisions because like he was fatigued. 
Um, so, as I said, we need them to be better, but the team as a whole have to be better to minimise the, opportun- the opportunities that the Storm get against that side of the field. So I'm going to be looking for I'm going to be looking for far better completions, good kick chase, and keep the storm down there in the field because I honestly think the Eels have the advantage in the forwards. I think the spine is fairly evenly matched. I think the Eels' right side is stronger than the Storm's right side, a uh, Storm's left side. But boy, we've got that vulnerability on the other edge. So, um, yeah, take advantage of our advantages, of our strengths, sorry. Keep mistakes to a minimum. And the Eels can and will win this contest. I genuinely believe that. I think the odds of the Eels are $2.70 against that. Look, look at that Storm outfit. Look at the team that's there. Like, it... There is nothing outside of their spine. There is nothing that should be raising huge concerns for the eels. Everywhere else is an opportunity, and they have to bring those bench players on. And again, there is more opportunity. And the eels can do this. And the lining, We've silver lining, of- is that Cameron Munson naturally attacks our right edge. Yes, I think yeah. he, he operates on the left edge from Melbourne. It's not to say he can't pop up on their right and attack our left, but he will be running into the teeth of our better defensive side, so that's nice. Um, but I, I'm really excited to see how his dummy half rotation works, 60s. I think having yeah. having two fresh hands at number nine uh, not only gives you more attacking opportunities, it helps solidify that middle defense, your ruck defense. Uh, we, we were, I mean, to Brendan's credit, he'd been shouldering a huge defensive workload across this season, regularly tallying 40, 50 tackles with only a handful missed. So he, he's been doing a lot of work. And if you look at the way that our props operate, our starting props in junior and reg, we actually uh, levy a lot of our defensive workload onto other players in order to keep them fresh. Uh, not to say they don't make tackles, just to, compared to the average starting front row, I think they're a tick under the, what the average is. And so having two dummy halves to help, uh, you know, share that responsibility uh, makes you better on both sides of the ball. So really keen to see how Lussie and hands work together. Yeah, so am I. And, um, and also, I think when you talk about them being fresher, you've got um, hands when he was rotating with Hodgson was adding a bit of uh, the running game out of dummy half, uh-huh. something that we haven't seen as much of because uh, he, he's had such a big workload playing 80 minutes. The other thing too is we know Lusick doesn't mind chancing his hand close to the opposition's line. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as well. So, um, yeah, I think that's really important to note what's going to happen with the Eels' rotation at dummy half. Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess we're at the stage of predictions, Let's mate. go. Uh, I'll, I'll tee things off this week. I'm going to tip the Eels to win and win fairly well like they've done with most of their victories this season. Um, I'll go somewhere in the vicinity of 32 or 34 points to 16 or 18. Uh, So Melbourne getting in a few tries, but the Eels prevailing here. Uh, And this is all predicated on the fact that our left edge can hold up. If our left edge doesn't hold up, then it's going to be a shootout, and the Eels will have to go blow for blow, plus then a bit more to get over the Melbourne Storm. Yeah, look, I'm thinking the scoreline's probably going to be in the vicinity of uh, the Eels winning 
30 to 26. I do see a high-scoring game, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I think the, the Storm will have success against our left edge, and I think we're going to have to score a lot of points to, to get past them. So, yeah, 30 to 26. Uh, first try scorer for me uh, from an Eels uh, perspective will be uh, Mitch Moses and uh, best on field. I'm, there's going to be no surprise here. I'm going to go Mitch Moses again. Yeah, we gave him a big wrap in this preview, but I'm going to tip Will Penasini for first try scorer. Best on field. It is really hard to separate the one and the seven here for us to win. You need both those players having huge games, and that was the case against North Queensland where they were critical in that big comeback, but we couldn't quite get them over the line. Um, so outside of those two for a best on field nomination, uh, what do we got here? What do we have here? Maybe a, a cheeky little Bryce Cartwright game here, um, being a, a, a force on that right edge. Well, I think we're we're both feeling a little bit buoyant about the Eels' chances. We're being realistically, I think, realistically buoyant because we're acknowledging where the, the problems will be. But we're tipping, we're both tipping and genuinely tipping an Eels win here. Um, John, thank you again for. A, a fine podcast. Thank you to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, Star Partners, Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. And as we always say, go you mighty eels.